everybody here we are shook me the mooney episode 59 it's friday july 2nd uh we're feeling it this week the summer july 2nd 2021 how you feeling today shug feeling good i feel like we're on schedule like we did the other episode like three days ago so if you haven't had a chance to check that out please check it out we'll yeah we're back, uh, 59. Uh, when we recorded on Tuesday, we had a little incident, right? Your, your power went out. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, my episode, yeah. Well, they wouldn't know because, uh, you know, it's a... Well, a little inside baseball here. Uh, but, yeah, so then when I got out of work on Wednesday, uh, that's basically my, like, Friday night. And the first thing I get is a text message saying, uh, all right, conserve energy and everything. I'm like, I just want to relax, put my little USB AC thing in, and I'll be good. But uh, the last couple of days, been a nice little rain, my favorite weather. I'm sure it was funny when um, they sent that alert out. And every single, yeah, like a bajillion tweets was like, you better turn off Town Square if you think I'm turning off this AC. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and that made me think about um, the last time we had a crazy, the blackout like, almost 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe uh, a lot of people just like don't remember that. I feel like no one even talks about it. If that happened now, if that happened now, I, I wonder what... Like, how we would react to it today. Yeah, it was crazy. It was um 2004. I was actually, I was in Atlanta visiting my father and that day, my mom, my sister was at my mom, I think we're doing, I think she was getting like her prom dress or some shit or something. I can't remember what it was, but they were, she went to her job. So they were stuck in like Manhattan, like Broadway. Um, in a building, like in the dark, I think they ended up having to, to sleep there or something. I gotta ask them. Maybe one day, you know how they had those holiday movies? Who did that? Yeah. Uh, Gary Marshall did all those like New Year's, Valentine's yeah. Day. We should do one. August 16th, whatever, whatever, uh, 2004. Uh, and I do, I tell my crazy story about like, you know, I was in Sam Goody. I was gonna buy this thing, you know, you know. Uh, but anyway. What's going on? Summer, sun, summer, summer, summer of Sam. Didn't they have a part with the 77 blackout because that happened at the same time? Probably. I mean, I think uh, my mom and dad told me about that. Um, That's some wild shit. I mean, we like we talked about it like a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think like that was covered. You could imagine like a blackout happening and like there being like a serial killer on the loose like at the same time. I would have been terrified. Yeah, I mean, like it's like a perfect storm. Like yeah. kind of like, like 2020 was kind of like a perfect storm of a lot of things happening. Uh, like this summer, if that if something like that happened again, it would have to be like, oh, a power went out. You know, like Texas almost lost their power too last yeah, year too. Like New York had like a serial killer on the loose, a blackout, and the Yankees won the World Series and, and a pennant race. Yeah, <laughs> it's a perfect storm. I mean, it would be a perfect uh, reboot. We'll do it again for 2021. Yankees, a miraculous comeback, and we'll get into the Yankees later on. Of course, we always like to talk about the Yankees. 
Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, too. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a little homage. We always talk about giving people flowers when they're alive still. So we're going to do an ode to Pauly Shore because I feel like that gentleman, he, me and Shug agree that he's not getting the uh, respect that he, uh, that he deserves with his little run. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, another artist, uh, Quentin Tarantino, that we haven't really been showing a lot of love for, even though me and Sugar are huge fans of. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last film, his ninth film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, came out two years ago. And uh, this week, the novel novelization of it came out. Uh, it's like a book based on the movie. Yeah. And it has Tarantino all over it, you know. Uh, so me and Chuck decided to read it and yeah uh, because he he said like as you say that it's his ninth film and he said he was making 10 and that would be it so um he said he would make 10 he would retire from directing movies and being a filmmaker and then totally shift to being a novelist so this is actually his first book well, we'll yeah. get into it when we, we get to that part um, more in depth. We've read, like, as I said, we this was recorded, like, two two or three days after the last episode, and I got the book the day after. Um, Mike had got his, I think, like, a couple day days of. before. No day of. Exactly. So we um, couldn't read, like, a lot, so we just said, all right, let's crack it open um about 40 pages read the first two chapters and get into it and so it's basically um shook me the mooney book club so we cover everything tv shows movies sports now we got books so nobody can say we're not um we we don't have like a lot of range we're three-dimensional we're we're human beings we have have death yeah so so we're gonna (laughs) shug he likes to read. This is all you know. This is like this whole series of Match.com. You know, for yeah, sure. like just put on my smoking jacket Clip. and 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 my pipe and just peruse my book. Yeah, with my with my brandy. But yeah, we, we're gonna go through the whole book and we're gonna read it along and you we, we're gonna talk about the whole book and um, of course we're gonna say spoiler alert because you know we're reading the book and giving you you know our thoughts on the book. But it's based on a movie that's or been out for like three years now. And if you haven't seen it, well, pick up a copy. But it shouldn't it shouldn't really be spoiled for anybody. It's it's um it's just us like reading along and giving our thoughts. I'm already like first two chapters in, it's a little, very, very different from the movie. Yeah. Um different form of medium. Mm-hmm. yeah uh we we filmed uh another episode this week but another thing that happened that we we failed to uh to talk about uh was a major uh topic for the last over 12 months uh it, basically uh, uh the, the final verdict or the sentencing uh for derek Chauvin has come in uh, a couple of weeks ago was this uh, was the the trial ended and now this was the uh how many years of the sentencing so, uh, Shug, uh, I forgot which day this was, but uh, I was going to work, and on the radio, I was hearing the um, testimonies, or not, the family, uh, George Floyd's family speaking at the sentencing. That's all I saw. Uh, where were you when you heard the, the 
sentencing? Um, like I, 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 it was hours afterwards. Like I forgot about it because this was while I was, you know, vacationing in Florida. So I didn't really watch TV and I didn't really get to scroll through Twitter as much. Like if you go through my whole tweets last week, it might've been like the, the least amount I've tweeted like in a while. Um, but I found out it was like 22 and a half years and I was hearing everybody's reaction. Um, and I don't know. I think like I said it when we initially, when he was initially guilty or during the trial, like the, um, the lightest charge that he had was like 10 years. So I was like, all right, well, at least it's something. Um, but then he got guilty for like everything. And I forgot what the maximum amount was. If you do, you remember, Mike? Well, for the charge, it was ten to fifteen was the Minnesota's standard for the for the crime. But I think he's he's serving. Um, it's twenty two point and a half, but um, he's serving uh, concurrently, right? Mm-hmm. So all three at once. So it's it's uh, it would have been ten to fifteen if it was a different situation. But the judge has said that like it, he made it harsher for like the the cruel like, the cruelty of the crime. You know, and we have it on film, but multiple mm-hmm. angles. So that's like the severity of the charge of the sentencing. I mean, uh, is reflected in the extra time. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's it's there's there's the dynamic with me is at least you, like you said yourself, like at least he got something. That's what you were saying. Yeah. Well, like if he got life and all those other different things, it still would have been the same outcome that already happened last year. You know what I mean? It's well, well continue. I cut you off, but continue with what you were saying. Uh, no, nah, cause I thought he, he, I thought it said he could have got up to like 50 years or something like that. Um, so it was, I, I was, I would, at the time of the trial, I was like, you know, even if they, before they even, gave him guilty. I was like, at least at the very least, I hope he's guilty for the one that they gave him 10 years for. But since he was guilty on all three charges, I was like, yo, all right, throw the fucking book at him. And it comes out 22 and a half years. Um, There's not like murder, most murder charges, like 25 years to life. Um, Assuming these states don't have the death penalty. I think it was a reckless endangerment while on duty or it was a lot of those type of uh crimes it was it never actually said it was like uh responsible for the death of like in in the language of the actual charges like it doesn't say like killing someone it doesn't say like murder it's a lot of uh negligence and like uh a lot of that type of verbiage so that's why like you didn't get the whole 50 to life or like 25 to life it was mm-hmm. it would have been a bunch of multiple 10 to 15s but i think they gave him concurrent like at the same time because it's like the same exact incident but it's three different types of charges so that was like the reasoning behind it uh i mean minnesota still for over a year it's uh like a couple weeks ago we didn't even talk about it they were trying to take uh the monuments away at Mm -hmm. where it happened um but now it's still it's back up so maybe that had a lot to do with the, the situation up there the tense situation the judge is trying to probably balance between the system and because he's a ju- he's a judge 
Uh, he has to work with law enforcement. He's trying to appease a lot of people. And uh, I guess in the, you know, just being black and white frank about it, they're trying to be appease everyone or not appease, but uh, it's, it's a bad situation. So give him extra time. You know, that's like, that's the reasoning behind it. But if it just was 10 years, it would have been a different, people would have been like, that's not enough. Yeah. But uh, people are still saying it's not enough. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Because he, I, I, I don't know why I thought he was like 37. But he's actually 44. Like, yeah, he's like 40, he's 45 years old, according yeah. to Wikipedia. Um, So 22 and a half years, he'll be um, 67 or 65 years old, 67 or 68 years old when he's released, if and when he's released. Um. And I guess, like, the, you know, thing about it is, like, usually, like, police don't have, like, have a harder time in prison than regular people do, especially, you know, one who's in jail for killing somebody. Um, So, who knows? You know, I don't want to, like, speculate, but... I don't you know, know where, it's not uh, gonna be. It's not gonna be a fun experience. Yeah. Well, that's the next thing. The next step in this is finding uh, like when they decide the housing for him. It's like this. His safety is going to be a like that. They're actually taking a priority and like where's the safest place for him. Uh, I'm not sure since it's not like a fifty to life. It's it, it's probably state. Uh, it's not federal. It's not it's not a federal uh, prison, which would be straight up him twenty three hours and one hour in like a yard. This is I don't know because state is different. It's um, opened open cells uh, for all the day besides night. You know they have like the the little communal area. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how they put them in like a death uh, suicide watch thing instead in that type of facility. That's like terrible. You know it's like because uh, there's so many different levels. I'm not I'm not that familiar with the prison system in America, but it depends on the on the state and it depends on if it's like a private prison if it's a private prison who knows what the hell will happen either he'll have like his own like private security or he'll be someone will get him right away because uh a lot of things happen in, in private prisons yeah you know i've seen enough locked up royal <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm telling you i mean not to make light of it but uh growing up i was only afraid of prison movies uh monsters don't scare me you know like you know <laughs> prison and because like like in in, in in uh like the scene from Dead Presidents when I was a kid, oh you know that was a big scene, and I was like I was like eight years old going oh man that sucks man he fought for the country too man and he you know that after everything I did for you you know remember and he gets yeah. uh, sentenced because like it's like it's final law is final but um yeah. going back to the actual what we're talking about now yeah and I mean when you you talk about like um prison sentences like we've seen people go to jail for like 15 to 20 years for like drug offenses um you know non-violent drug offenses like maybe distribution possession um smuggling stuff like that and you know this man had his neck I mean he had his knee on a man's neck for nearly 10 minutes till the life was taken out of him um you know, it's it's interesting, and you know, moving on to to sports. Uh, today, uh, it came out that 
a record um, sprinter for the American Olympic team, Shikari Richardson. She's been suspended for um, testing positive for marijuana. And everybody in their granddaddy has like a um opinion on it. Uh, Mike, you, you heard about this today? I heard about it today. I know in the last few days, uh, people have been talking on Twitter about uh, the Olympics, and I forgot what was happening. Um, but I know who she is, and I saw that her, today she said, oh, I apologize for the uh, for, for it happening. I'm sorry. You know, she, she like, uh, apologized for it. Yeah, I mean, and I can't lie. Like, my, my initial reaction was, you know, it sucks because almost half of the country now, all this, the, the states, half of the states in the country have legalized or decriminalized marijuana. So um, basically, like, marijuana is, like, um, like, you know, buying alcohol at this point. Like, there ain't really, like, much, you know, people are realizing it's not as threatening of a of a drug you know some would even say you you shouldn't even categorize it as like a narcotic it should you know basically be um a drug like you know people take like you know Tylenol or the only offensive thing that would that would be uh that would that would be illegal is smoking while driving you know just like drinking while driving or Mm-hmm. pharmaceutical having uh being on uh pharmaceuticals while driving uh that's where it's going to be now it's going to be in the alcohol and pill you know you know area yeah uh, so you, you can't you can't like if, if if you're driving and they pull you over and you have a weed on you you can't get arrested but if they if they you do the uh test and, and you have it in your system then it's a crime yeah and like my initial response was that is one of them things where it's like you have, you know, you you're kind of on one side, and then you start to hear the people that have like the same um, stance or is on the same side as you, and you hear their arguments, and you hear how dumb it sounds, and you just like you move back to like in the new, you know, neutral, or you move to the other side, and that's kind of me today because mm-hmm. I woke up and I I read it and I was like, yeah, this shit sucks because you know weed isn't like harmful. Like obviously, it's not a performance-enhancing drug. If anything, it's um, detrimental. Exactly. <laughs> like what's and, his name? The swimmer. And, yeah. Well, I'm bringing that up in a second. Okay. Um. And it's not. She tested positive for it, and like marijuana, I believe. I don't know all my drugs facts, but I believe it stays in your system for like seventy-two hours or something like that. Yeah. You know what? Uh. I surprisingly know a lot about this stuff. It's either 72 hours or a month. Cocaine is three days. Alcohol is like eight days, depending on how much you drank. Um, it depends on the test, too. There's mm-hmm. different types of tests. There's one that, like, you do it right there. There's one that is more advanced, and there's one that's blood. They're, they're probably doing a blood one, which is like a month. They, they know everything you've had for a month. And if they do your hair, it's like a year or more. Yeah. yeah, I know a lot about it. Don't ask why. <laughs> Don't ask why. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. And, like, I apologize to any family members or parents listening to this. But I only got drug tested for one job in my whole life. And it was, like, the worst fucking job. And basically, like, slave 
you know, um, legal slavery, which was Walmart. I found it ironic that like. Oh, so I know you worked at. You worked at Walmart where? Oh, uh... for like oh, but like two months when I was in college. Out of state. Okay, that makes sense. So like I hadn't touched weed in such a long time, and my friend's brother. He, you know, lit up, and you know, me and my boy, we, we like smoked with him, and. I hadn't, it's funny because I hadn't smoked at all, like, before this, like, for a while. And just so happened, like, this time I did. And this was when I was, like, living off campus, so I needed money. So me and my boy, we applied to work at Walmart, you know, because they hire everybody. Um, And then they called me after I smoked, they called me the next day for the interview, did the interview. And then the next day after that, they were like, yeah, we got to take a, like, we got to give you a drug test. And this shit was like astounding to me because like I said, I never had taken a drug test before. So I'm like, Oh shit, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Da, da, da. So I started drinking like mad, like cranberry juice, mad water. Like I was on a liquid diet, so I could just pee like all day to like flush it out of my system. So I took the the um <laughs> I took the, the the drug test and like I passed. So I don't know, maybe it is like 72 hours. Mm. Uh, um it stays in your system. But that was a quick aside. Um maybe it was Walmart brand and it sucked. <laughs> the test sucked. No, it was after uh, they they sent you to like yeah. a like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Independent party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um uh yeah, I mean, um that is weird. Yeah, I never had a job where they tested you. I mean and believe me, I, I had some jobs where they needed to test people. Oh I'd have to I'd probably have to be uh like to work at a Walmart, man, I would you know, probably, it's probably like a five hour shift, probably six hour shift. Get a, you know, get a little blaze a little bit. I'm gonna tell you, I, I, I can get through the shift. I can get I through work, the shift. I worked there for like two, um, like two weeks, and I quit. So yeah, perhaps they needed to drug test people because you gotta be like on some shit to want to work at Walmart. No offense to anybody else working at Walmart. As a matter of fact, if you are working at Walmart, you should find a better fucking job because there are better things out there than that place. Um, I'd be a greeter. <laughs> <laughs> Bother people. Uh, um. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, but, but but like so now like what's what is the ramifications of this? Inform me because I haven't really been following. Um, so is she banned from the rest of the like what I, happened? That's kind of what's up in the air. So we don't know. She's just suspended right now. But she was sponsored by Nike. Nike has come out and supported her. There's a lot of people that's in support of her and stuff like that. But what I was saying, I keep on going off track with it was that. You know, I was on the side that was saying like, yeah, it's messed up because, you know, weed is legal virtually everywhere. Um, The place that she was when she was testing positive or where the trials, the Olympic trials were, Oregon, weed is legal. So she wasn't doing anything like illegal. Um, But at the same time, like, I was like, you know, like, you know, the Olympics is coming up. Like, you know, you're, you're drug testing you. Why would you even touch weed? Da, 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 da. And, you know, the more and more, like, I'm seeing people's, like, argument, like, yo, this is really, like, not fair to her. And, you know, it, it's a bigger societal thing because 
for years, you know, the war on drugs, all of that stuff, all of these drug offenses and stuff like that, that a lot of white people are making a shit ton of money on, you know, cannabis and weed and different type of like um, marijuana related things. You know, these were stuff that people, as we previously stated in the last segment, a lot of these things that people are in jail for and still in jail for. It's not like they made these shit, you know, made these this shit like legal and then they freed all the nonviolent offenders. Those guys are still in jail. So it's it's a racial thing too, and it's just like, all right, you're you're about to, you know, um, sideline an African American who's gonna represent America in the Olympics for this drug thing. And as you stated a couple of years ago, Michael Phelps admitted that he, you know, used to you know toke up a little bit. And it actually helped with his swimming. It helped him. It cleared up his lungs and it helped him like be able to to um, dive and swim a lot better. So you know, perhaps it is a performance performance enhancing drug. Um, so yeah, I definitely switched like sides on it because I was just like, this this really isn't fair. I'm like, if she's not like getting high before she's running, and even if she did get high before she ran, like she would probably like pass out like or not run as well and it also came out that she used the weed to um kind of decompress from the fact that her mother had passed away recently and that's how she grieved and a lot of people you know my mom was saying too she was like you know her dad died but she didn't start smoking weed and i'm sitting there like well you know a lot of people deal with grief in different ways you know, some people hit the bottle hard. Some people smoke weed. Some people find other, you know, ways to relieve the stresses of life and loss. Um, so you can't really criticize her for that. And uh, it's like if she would have decided to drink, you know, instead of smoking weed, like she wouldn't have got suspended. Yeah, and it would have the same effect. I don't, you know, before you be, go yeah. on, like, like she, it's not like she could drink because she's training. At least weed, it doesn't have any, um, like it, it doesn't make you fat. It doesn't, um, you know, whereas like with liquor, you do gain weight. Like beer, it does like slow your your body down and, um, has a lot of negative effects on your body. Weed, it just gives you that high, and you know you go on about your day but alcohol actually has like a lasting effect um but and i actually have an example but mike you you were saying oh well if you go back in time and talk about like american sports heroes so we go back and like oh um you know mickey mantle was hung over or like still drunk a lot of the times in the 60s like oh well his numbers were affected by it it wasn't a performance enhancing it was hindering but, so like, how, why would they change but, it? See, on him, he had, he he had a lot of um, you know, personal demons, you know, like home life and family life, um, filling the shoes of like other Yankees. Uh, you know, yeah, a lot of stressful things. On top of that, his body. Have you like, if you ever seen a photo mm-hmm. and it points out all the different injuries he's had throughout his career? Yeah. Um. So he used that as like a mechanism yeah um 
but the, I, the ironic thing is like Olympics, I've always heard, Hey, after you, you do your competitions and after you're, uh, you're done, it's party central. I heard like, you know, the Olympic village was like party central. Everyone was doing drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. I mean, that that's not, you can't like, Oh, uh, like someone does something later on. They don't retroactively like take away numbers. Cause like you're, you're like representing the Olympics. So like, it's not like she failed the test. So you, uh, you're representing the Olympics, the American, whatever the actual official name is. It's the American something of the Olympics, right? Ameri- yeah. The United. So it's not like a, uh, you're, you're representing us. Like, you, you know, this is cause you're talking about a, more of a moral thing than just like a, uh, performance. Yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not enhancing. And then, um, you know, old friend of ours, Emmanuel Asho, I like, you know, dug into him because he had a response that was, you know, oh, well, if they stop testing for weed for running, like, do they stop testing weed for like the javelin or, or whatever, whatever? And I'm like, dude, like, I understand, like, and this is a weird thing about it. Like, if you've never, like, smoked weed before, like you shouldn't be talking about like the effects of it because you don't know how it works. And there's a lot of people whose um whose idea of the effects of weed is based off of like those very special episodes of sitcoms where somebody starts smoking. Jumps out a window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember like is there's one like I love the Wayne's brothers, the the show. I always talk about my love for it. I always I love it except for the first season and one episode um after that, which was the episode where Marlon does drugs. I mean no, Marlon smokes weed or he becomes like a weed head in order to help his like acting career. And if you watch the episode, like he smokes weed and he has the same effect like as if like he's free base and cocaine. Mm-hmm. Like he's like like acting all irrationally it, and crazy. Was that for comic? I don't say I have to rewatch these show. I haven't watched that show in like 15 years. No, it was like a very special episode. Really? Like I don't at, remember that. At the end of it, it was like um him and Sean was like, you know, if you or your friends are, you know, doing smoking weed, you know, like you could be harming other people that are and all that bullshit. Well, what's going on now though is people are uh, the only the seriousness about weed now is uh, people are, are lacing it with fentanyl. So people are and like PCP and stuff. So people in the streets, oh, well, well, I was only smoking weed, but they're like crazy drugs now, like where they actually do get crazy. That's one thing you got to worry about uh, oh, at this yeah. point. It, but at this point, um, I think I think it's a generational thing. And I think we're moving on from this. But I don't know who is in charge of the Olympics. Like. I don't know. I, I don't know that much about the Olympic uh, committee. Is it is it a international or is it America's Olympic that tested or, or is it like the international? Because then that's a whole different ball game. Yeah, it's, it's a trial. So I don't know. It might be oh. the American committee. But going back to like Emmanuel Acho, um, you know, where he's talking about like, OK, what if they stop like people get high before they throw a javelin and people get hurt? And I'm like, Again, with the alcohol thing, it's fine for alcohol. Like, you, you, nobody tests for that stuff. Like, it ain't like they breathalyze people before competitions. And I'm like, what's the most famous one? Like, this big old MAGA douche now, um, David Wells, threw a perfect game, right? And he's like, oh, you know, guess what? I was hungover when I, I pitched it. 
And I'm like, this is a guy who's like throwing a baseball. So people could have got hit in the face, um, by, you know, bruised ribs, stuff like that. He could have hurt, he could have, you know, hurt, hurt, harm someone. What if he threw um, over the first base and like the first baseman didn't know like the ball was coming and he hurts his first baseman. Um, you know, you don't hear anybody saying like, oh, they need to breathalyze baseball pitchers now, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm so I'm surprised they might do that now though. Jordy might be like, "Can I get him a breathalyzer test <laughs> just to stop the t- some sticky stuff?" Stop the sticky stuff. That's sticky. Oh. Oh, oh, it's the sticky icky stuff. Okay, he's high <laughs> right now. Yeah. No, but D- David Wells, like, yeah, he was at a diner like uh, in our neck of the woods, and he was like the bad boy. You know, I used to ride a bike, and I didn't realize he was sold doing shit. I didn't know he was uh, a MAGA type thing, but oh, yeah. he's he's, he's one. Of, he's now one of those. Um, Get off my mound type. I mean, get off my get lawn. Off my, whoa, that was good. Get off my mound. I like that. That's what I've been used. Um, get off my lawn. But speaking of, uh, well, before we get into baseball, Chris Paul is in the NBA Finals, mate. I know. 17 years. Yeah. He, he's been in the league for that long. I'm happy uh, to tell. Yeah, I, I actually went to, uh, when I went to New Orleans the first time, like six years ago, like, Everywhere I went, because all they had was the Hornets. Uh, at this point, at this point when I went, the Pelicans were new. They were like the first year, but they had the Hornets for that for that handful of years or whatever how long it was, and uh, the Saints too. But like they sucked the Saints for a long time. So like they had faded posters of Chris Paul everywhere. Like he was like that in LSU. So Chris Paul was like really really their guy, and uh, he had that situation with trying to go to Lakers. Remember? With, yeah. Uh, and they put a kibosh on that, and that kind of uh, no. set him back. No. Yeah. No. Nah, people still say that, like the league crushed it. The league was running the Hornets. They just this. They declined yeah. the trade. They didn't. They they didn't think it was a fair deal. Like everybody thinks that, like David Stern, God rest his soul, was like, oh nope, can't happen. He was just like, no, like I'm not. Like I have to sell this team to. Some you know I gotta sell this team to to like a potential buyer and I'm like I can't sell the team and it's basically just like Eric Gordon is yeah. your star player you know like and that's that's why they did it it's it's not it wasn't a league it was like oh no we can't do this um because Lord knows if the league used to actually like intervene and make things one way so things would work out like the Knicks would not be as like you know have not would have not been as bad as they've been but well, Chris Paul if Chris Paul kind of was like a journeyman you could say like you you know from for the last like decade um starts and stops um yeah and it's interesting because I was thinking he's like um Sean Kemp and Gary Payton were like they're great players, Hall of Fame. Play- well, probably not Sean Kemp, but Gary Payton, they're Hall of Fame, play- Hall of Fame players. But they they'll probably never get their jersey retired unless like the um unless the Sonics come come back, like they wouldn't get their jersey numbers hung up. And it's the same thing with Chris Paul because like he played for the New Orleans Hornets, which is now the Pelicans. So he never played for the Pelicans. Um he never played for the Charlotte Hornets, so the Hornets wouldn't retire his number and eh, I don't know, maybe the Clippers, but you know, that's kind of his whole legacy with the Clippers was that he never 
went past the second round with them. But long and short of it is he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's playing in the finals. Um, possibly could get a ring. Who knows? We'll see. Um, Atlanta and Milwaukee, as this show is being recorded, uh, Milwaukee is up 3-2. Um, Trey Young and Giannis, who are like the star attractions in the series, are injured. So it's mm. kind of like, you know, for the love of the game, you're watching the games. So it'd be interesting to see what happens, but congratulations to Chris Paul for playing for a championship. And there's a lot of people talking about, oh, like he, it doesn't count because of all of these injuries. Like who the fuck? Yeah, is, like every year there's injuries. Yeah, every injuries. year there's, and no one remembers it. Like a year later, sometimes like, more, sometimes yeah, yeah. less. Like no, nobody cares. Like what are you supposed to do? Well, oh no, we gotta stop everything till everybody comes back. Like no, like they they're playing good basketball. They earned their conference championship. Milwaukee or Atlanta, they earn their conference championship. Whoever wins the finals, they earn their championship. It's not like they're playing at Disney's Wide World of Sports in front of nobody. Like this one actually like counts. It's not a farce. They played a full season. They played a, played a full playoffs. Like it counts. It counts. That's like a new catchphrase for, probably for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, good for the Sonic. I mean the Suns too. Well, I said Sonics, but uh. Uh, I, I when it, early April I had the Bucks and Suns, and then a lot of things changed during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, I, ideally I was saying the Knicks, but um, I wanted the Bucks. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, out of whoever's left. Yeah. Uh, but let's just try to maybe the Hawks. If it's Hawks Bucks, I could see them trying to the new young baby faces of the you know the Suns, yeah. uh, and then him, Trey Young. Mm-hmm. I can see that being like, and then like ten years from now, I'd be like, "Hey, remember when they were so young? And now look at them now, and they're like the old guys in the league." Yeah, you got you got like uh, Bronny James, you know, and LeBron's like still playing, or like forty, you know, and he's like, you know, still playing. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of, uh, uh, we were talking about uh, the marijuana situation with the Olympics, uh, where it's affecting uh, the athletes, uh, you know, involvement in the Olympics and her like uh, numbers and stuff. Uh, recently the NCAA did a ruling. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically, uh, and, and collegiate athlete, athletes, the NCAA football, you know, basketball primarily like we'll focus on, uh, now they have the right to monetize their image. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that was a, a huge deal, uh, going way back, even in the eighties, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, even though it was about gambling, they talked about it in like Blue Chips, the movie where like they needed to make some sort of money. Student athletes, you get like 60 bucks in like a lunch lunch card or whatever. Uh, so, you know, uh, I mentioned LeBron's LeBron James's son. Uh, one of the first uh, athletes that may sign a deal is Master P's son. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, and so everyone knows. We had another son. <laughs> Well, 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 Master Percy, P, like Percy, Percy, Miller, no? Percy a great name. No. Uh, Master P uh, was a, a baller, mm-hmm. shot caller. Uh, if you look at one of his albums, he was playing for like the minor league of like the Charlotte, right, or something. One of those teams, he was playing like a minor league. I he played like a um, preseason with yeah. the Raptors. Raptors, okay, yeah. So he was actually really good, and, um, but yeah, so so now. They can lend out their images, like you know, like the balls. Uh, they were doing that with their TV show, even though they were they were still in high school and stuff. Um, how do you feel about that? Great, right? 
Yeah. Um, it just depends how in bigger picture what happens. Like one of the things I came out of it or I've seen is like, and I totally agree with, which is that Reggie Bush's like college accomplishments, his Heisman, they all should be returned. You know, like I'm, you know, I was a huge USC fan back then, like Matt Leinart, Lendell White, and Reggie Bush. Like that was like the team. Um, went to three straight, one, two straight national championships, went to three straight, almost had a chance to win a third straight, which is kind of heartbreaking to me, but it was one of the greatest college football games ever. Mm-hmm. And technically, it's like Reggie Bush didn't even play. So it'd be nice that they, if they, it would be nice if they, you know, righted those wrongs. But as we said with the, um, you know, marijuana thing, like usually these things don't get like retroactively, um, retroactively righted. Uh, but it would be interesting to see that. But going forward, you know, I've seen like there was like these two twins for I think like Oklahoma or Ohio State, something. But they're like hot and they play basketball and they were like the first ones to sign like the sponsorship deal with somebody. I forgot who, but their faces are out there now. And even on a lower level now, like guys could get like, you know, like my school was like in the middle of like nowhere in Pennsylvania, like outside of Pittsburgh. So guys playing on the baseball team, basketball team, like now, you know, the local mall or like a local restaurant now could say like oh all right like you know uh do an instagram post for us and like you can eat for free you know now they have those type of opportunities so it ain't really you know just for like the top tier people and it's it's hard you know if if you could get that kind of like hookup because being a student athlete is hard you gotta practice go to class um, even if you have some kind of like um, work study program, like those things only pay you like maybe like a hundred dollars like a month, which isn't anything to survive on. Like you know, if you have various needs, you know, putting gas in your car, putting food, um, outside of like the cafeteria, you know, trying to feed yourself. It, it so it does it does help. So it'd be interesting to see NCAA football, NCAA basketball might make a comeback. I think they are making a comeback, but now, you know, these guys could possibly have their names and stuff back in it. And it's not just like CB 12 yeah, yeah. or and RB 44 yeah. and stuff like that. So now they'll have opportunities, which is the word you used. Um, keep it at opportunities, not obligations, where now like they're feeling forced. They have to be, and not only do the academics, not only do your practices, but now you're going to like, part of the thing is going to be like a, a, you know, like a triangle thing where it's going to be, you also have to acquire like, you know, Hersey Miller has, it's, they always said it was an American technology company. Mm-hmm. Um, so now this is going to be a requirement. I think it's, it's just a cherry on top of, you know, because it, it, it was um, not fair for, like, NCAA making all this money. You have all these colleges making, universities making money off it. 
they used it as a tool to get uh, fundraising and you know it, it was now it's more of like a leveled playing field uh it's still far between uh, but with reggie bush we'll see i think this time around they will have a whole ceremony with like the heisman giving it yeah, back to him it will be nice like the Trojans, you know, they'll have it over there. Because, uh, like, he's probably, like, you know, he's one of, like, the faces of college football. He did have a good career in the NFL, like, 11 seasons, right? Not even uh, just not even just him, but, like, you're talking about, like, Maurice Claret. Mm-hmm. Um, on the basketball side, you got, you know, the five, the, the five, five, you know. Yeah, we'll see about that. Wolverines. Um, yeah, Chris, that was my team. That was my team because it was an M. Yeah, Chris Weber, um, Kellen Rose. Now, yeah, so now me, you know, their accomplishments are back, and it's like imagine if this was back then, like all I should, you know, that's what they talked about a lot in the Fab Five documentaries. Like they kind of were these trendsetters, and they didn't see a single dime from it. And it's like you know when this like retired like factory worker gave Chris Weber like you know fifty bucks. So we could buy groceries, like all of a sudden, oh my God, like we 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 gotta put an end to this. So it'd be interesting to to watch. Um and speaking of like football, as you see, I have my giants shirt on. And you'd say you probably say, Wow, sure, like you know, it's it's July. We still got like about like 10 weeks before football starts. So why are you have your football shirt on. You know why? Because, like, the Knicks got eliminated, like, a month ago, and they're not going to be back till October. And it looks like the Yankees won't be seeing October the way they're going. Um, They're straddling around 500. They're in fourth place mm. as of July 1st. And the last game they played might have been the worst loss in the season, which... um. The bar is pretty, pretty low. I mean, well, I, I wouldn't, it depends on perspective. I can't say the bar is high, but it's been a terrible season, full of terrible losses. But the game on Wednesday might have been like the worst loss of the season. They got rained out yesterday, uh, which I would say is like an act of God because it saved a lot of us a lot of um a lot of stress because the um that game they were they you know the big thing was Shoei Itani you know modern day Babe Ruth to some he comes out first inning and he's laboring gives up seven runs and the Yankees are up seven to three you know Domingo Oman is like you know, working his way through things and, you know, couple two-hour rain delays. They actually had, like, a rain delay, and they were up 7-4. They come back from that rain delay, making an you know, play, like, a couple innings, make it, an, make it an official game. So a lot of people were asked this, and they would have just called the game and just started the next, you know, started – um move on to the next game or maybe even suspended or, or something and play the rest of the game on Thursday. Um, but it didn't work out like that. They end up having another delay come back and they blew the game. And I remember I told Mike, cause I had to take the time to, to read once upon a time in Hollywood. 
I turned off my TV for like an hour so I could read the chapter because it was like the seventh inning and they were up seven four. I turned on my TV and they're doing like the Land Rover drives drives of the game. And now when I last watched the game, I don't recall other than the first inning, the Angels hitting any home runs. So I'm seeing like all of these home runs and, you know, the the sun was still out in the first inning and I'm like, it's pitch black, um, stadium lights on and everything in these home runs. So I'm sitting there like, no, nah, no, no way. They blew the game. Chapman gives up four runs and then they bring in some other dude and he gives up three runs. So we ended up, instead of after scoring seven runs in the first inning, we end up losing 11 to eight. Um, and ironically, the next day, Hal Steinbrenner speaks to the media. And I'm going to tell you, Mike, like, he, he didn't say things like, you know, he, he didn't reassure me of anything. Did you hear anything he said? Tell me, tell me now. Well, he shifted all virtual. He said everybody's to blame. You know, he holds some of the blame, Cashman, Boone. Um, he said that he was glad that the players respect the coaches, um, which I don't know, you know, what's that worth in, like, you know, tea in China. But, you know, it's important to him, I guess. And, you know, he said, but majority of the blame lands on the players. So let me tell you what I interpret that as. They're not going to do much as far as personnel changes. And inevitably, when they don't turn this thing around and they miss the playoffs and the whole season is a disappointment at the end of the season, he'll blame it on the players and then also point out to the fact, point out to the fact that the Yankees still had the second highest payroll, third highest payroll, whatever. It's at the top of the league. So he'll say, we're paying, we have a high payroll and we're not cheap. It's just that these guys didn't perform. So that way they don't have to, you know, go over the luxury tax and spend on players and basically do nothing. And he won't have to hold any type of responsibility or take any kind of accountability for the season. The status quo, keep it status quo. And it's more of like a board meeting for like a corporation. Yeah. And than, he's, like, than like a team, like our, we got to go out there. We got to go here. We got to go there. You know, it's not like a rah-rah. It's more like fiscal year bullshit. You know, it's like corporation. That's why it's not fun anymore. Yeah, because he's trying to avoid paying the tax. And it's just like, if you're the New York Yankees and you're one or two players away from winning the pennant or winning the World Series, it should not be a question of like, well, we'll go over the luxury tax if we take on this guy. You're the Yankees. Like, pay the tax. I've said it before, their payroll is comparable to the payroll in 2005. Only difference is relative to the revenue they're making. Um, the revenue back then was a lot closer to the payroll or what they spent on the team than today where the payroll is the same, but the revenue is like 10 times as much as it was back then. Um, and he, he, here's the thing. 
the Yankees are, he said he won't consider selling, which means he won't trade off players for prospects. Um, but at the same time, he said he would consider going over the luxury tax to get players. Consider. He didn't say he will go over the luxury tax. He said consider. So even if there was a player that could come in and help, there's going to have to be like a discussion on whether or not it's feasible to him or not, which is outrageous. Well, keeping it with the corporate vibe, uh, they're living off legacy. Uh, pretty soon we're seeing it with like generations, like uh, in non-sport things, like the generation below us, I have no idea. There's no concept of Yankees being glorious. You know, there's like, it's not like that. They're living off. So if, the, if they're assuming that people will pay to go to a Yankee game because of like the legacy of the Yankees, yeah. pretty soon, you're going to be living off. Uh, you're not going to be living off it anymore, and you're going to have to invest in money into winning eventually. So why not now when there's an opportunity? And yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about that all the day. I'm like the Yankee. I don't even think like how thinks of the Yankees as like a competitive baseball team. Like I think he thinks of it more as like an attraction. Like people are going to show up to Yankee Stadium. People are going to pay to park in the parking garage. People are going to pay for the merchandise. People are going to, you know, spend an exorbitant amount on tickets. People are going to spend an exorbitant amount at the concessions. Um, so it doesn't, like, winning, to me, it doesn't matter. And I don't know what changes. Like, do people just not go to the games? Do you just not spend money? Or what? Like, does that even change his mind? And he keeps on bringing up, like, you know, because, you know, obviously people keep bringing up his father. And he's like, well, you know, people forget, like, my father did face a lot of criticism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which is true. Which is true. Um, but the thing is, like, George Steinbrenner actually, like, cared. <laughs> and, yeah, he cared too much. People were, he was, yeah. he was too boisterous. He was too... Uh, getting involved, he was suspended for Christ's sake. You know, yeah. for how many seasons? Like five years. He was like suspended. Mm-hmm. He had to, he had to like uh, pass notes and shit like that. You know. Yeah, and uh, the way I the 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 analogy I made was that Hal goes to the grocery. He wants to make a dinner. He goes to the grocery with a budget, and is confined to the to and and restricts himself to that budget. And won't expand like his shopping list and won't expand his budget and makes his dinner and the dinner tastes like shit. And he complains about the dinner tasting like shit or comes out and tells all the people at his dinner party, like, listen, I just as frustrated as you are. I'm just as disgusted about his food as you are. And it needs to be better. But he's not presenting like any type of like alternatives or any type of you know strategy towards making it better whereas like george he go to the grocery store with a budget with a list and if the dinner came out as shit he would go back to the grocery store expand his list expand his budget and not just make the dinner edible he would try to make it perfect and that's the difference, you know, and maybe like he went too off the rails, as, as you said, Mike, but it, it, it's just a matter of care. And I just don't know if he cares. Yeah, like, and, if it was, yeah, it, that's why the caring. Yeah, 
as I was saying. Yeah, and I'm saying like he it's um you know, he's saying like, you know, the payroll is high and these players are underperforming, which is true. Which is true, and to be to be fair, it's true. But at the same time, it's like, how do you explain your starting rotation being Garrett Cole, um, Jordan Montgomery, and then the rest of it being full of you know wild cards or guys who haven't pitched, who've had like a handful of starts over the last like three years, as in you know in. Kluber, Tyone, and Luis Severino. You know why? Why, why is that? You know that that's something that you can't blame on the other players underperforming because even if like the lineup was playing up to its ability, you know the rotation is not a rotation that gets you deep into October, as we've seen last year when he had you know the they had the game where. Uh, David Garcia started one inning and then they passed it on to J.A. Happ because they didn't have a legit starter um, outside of Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, these, these are all things. And I just, I don't know what turns it around. I don't know what, what, it, what, it cha- what, what changes going forward. I'm, you know, my expectations are like very, very low. What about the Subway Series? Any, uh well, it's interesting because the Yankees have put themselves in a position where it's like <laughs> they could sweep or win two out of three against the Mets, and it's just like a moment a momentary um, gratification. Just like um, last week, if I'm not mistaken, like I thought I wasn't following them, but they got swept by Boston. Then. They won two out of three against Kansas City, and then they got swept by Boston again. You know, so that's the the one thing. It's like a momentary type of thing. And then if they get swept or they lose the series two out of three to the Mets, it's like, all right, now our season, which was already an embarrassment, has become even more of an embarrassment. So that's the position that the Yankees are in on July 1st of 2021. And, you, you know, I got to say, like, I, I've, I saw a comment. Cause, and that's the thing. Everybody's, like, making it seem like you, you got to look at this one year in a vacuum. But it's like this whole thing has been built up over the last couple seasons like you got Boone who's basically been babysitting this team for years and going back to is like you don't know if he was like a good hire because 2018 yeah they won 100 100 games but I had more to do with the fact that there was like five like 100 lost teams in the American League you know there were a lot more bad teams in American League than they were good teams like they won 100 games, but they still lost the division by eight games because Boston won 108. And then 2019, he did, you know, an admirable job in managing because they had a whole bunch of injuries and that was like next next guy up. Um, And they went to the ALCS. They lost in six. You know, I can't put too much of that on Boone, but... 2020, underwhelming season, postseason, 
a you know um just horrible managing from the front office uh down to uh the, the actual the manager to the team on the field and then you're looking at this year so big picture is just not been a good managerial thing i mean i guess the one thing that he's got going for him is he's like the first bad manager the yankees probably had since like me and you were you know shitting diapers uh, i can't even think of his name um yeah well pretty well, uh before buck yeah oh, buck Shelton. but you know it, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens um well, the, the mets are in first place uh but in 97 it was similar the yankees and mets had similar uh standings um uh, Wins and losses. Um, in 2005, similar to. Uh, I mean, but Mets are in first place now, and they have the same record. And it's kind of like, you know, like you were saying, with the Yankees won 100 games that season, but it was relative to the amount of teams that were shitty, you know? So I don't think the Mets are, you know, they're in first now, but it's not like, uh, you know, like the Yankees is more of a story that's more uh, this weekend. Because the Mets are doing their thing, but. Yeah, but are they, they've been kind of like underwhelming themselves. So we'll we'll see what happens. Buddy, Shug, yeah. what's going on, buddy? <laughs> what does that make you think of when I say that? Man, you know, my man, uh, Crawl. <laughs> we got Crawl. We got the Weasel. We got Squirrely. Bobby from Can't Forget the Animated Rules. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of names for the gentleman named Polly Shore. Mm-hmm. Polly Shore growing up, um, one of my earliest memories is watching like uh, Encino Man on Channel 11, WPIX, like on like the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, or so, or maybe it was on tape. Someone had a tape, but I remember watching it all the time. And uh, it's just one of those movies, Ben Bowdom, just you watched growing up. But what's your earliest memory of uh, Paulie Shore? MTV, you know, he'd pop up, he'd be um, something. Kids who, like, today's MTV, you know, kids who watch MTV today, they probably think, like, Rob Deere, like, MTV back in, like, if, if MTV was what it is now, and it, back then, like, um, who like Paulie Shore? Like they would have just had repeats of some kind of like um, Paulie Sh- Shore like world's funniest home videos, um, kind of show like twenty four seven with the occasional episode of the Real World. But for kids, um, who weren't familiar with uh MTV pre uh ridiculousness ridiculousness era um they used to have these people called vjs which would uh like hosts of these shows uh various different shows that showed music videos or had like guests on it so paulie show would pop up you know every now and again um you know just uh you know hosting videos and just being paulie show and he kind of had like a um a personality that was very uh i don't know how to describe it it was All like right. a cool cool dude like a like somebody you wanted to hang out with like your your buddy 
which like, ironically was like one of his catchphrases. Yeah, personality is the word I was going to use. Like one of the VJs, and before that they had DJs. You know, that's where it came from. But you had uh, he was he came out in '89. You know, I wasn't watching MTV until like probably '93. But uh, he Adam Sandler was start got to start really in MTV too, doing stand up and MTV. Adam Sandler, uh, Paulie Shore did. We'll get into his other backstory, but um, I would describe him as kind of like a low key coxman. <laughs> no, like act a little effeminate, but uh, like a valley girl, but at the same time, kind of hippie. And at the same time, kind of like, like if it was a lunch table, like he would hang out with like the hippie guys, he would hang out with the valley girls, he would mm. hang out with like, uh, like the, the rap guys, like he would hang out with like the rock guys too. He, like, anytime anyone who likes to party at any point, he would like mingle and he mingle mingle he would mingle with anyone in that yeah and it's like you you said and and like i said where he's like you know you said like he was he was a swordsman um pg (laughs) swordsman coxman whatever yeah whatever teaching the youths (laughs) um you know he used to like hook up with church but he was like eclectic um, like a like a an eclectic personality, um, very magnetic in that. So in a way, it was like like I said, he everybody like he was a type of dude like who you'd want to hang out with. So you know how they say like you know men want to be me, women want to be with me. Da, da, da. So he's like he was the guy like dudes would want to you know hang out with. And he, you know, just uh, he was also like a dude like chicks wanted to hang out with, and by that, um, you know, uh, personality he used to pick up a lot of chicks, and he used to get around. But um, he actually didn't just pop up out of nowhere. He actually comes from yeah, his family has like a huge legacy. Mike, if you want to expand on that. Right. So uh, his parents uh, owned the comedy store, which was like kind of like a like a breeding ground for some of the mo- biggest names ever in comedy and mm-hmm. uh, coming out of L.A. Uh, so basically, if he's 53 now, he grew up listening to Richard Pryor, listening to Rob, Robin Williams, uh, Jim Carrey, uh, all the guys, you know, like Kinnison, Dice and all that. Uh, Paul Mooney, who we talked talked about Rodney, who, who comes up later on. Rodney, of course. Mm-hmm. Rodney, another another party, you know, party guy. He probably, who knows, he probably took him to parties when he was like ten. So he, you know, basically, um, Paulie Shore's been around our whole lives, and he's only fifty three. You know, mm-hmm. like he started really young. Uh, started doing stand up because his mom Mitzi uh, was a gatekeeper of who got who got stage time, who got like the big stage. So a lot of people um, either liked Paulie or. They wanted Polly to like them, so he was he started partying really early on. Yeah, uh, he had stories of him and Kinnison, you know, like twelve doing coke. Like you know how when we were watching the WWE biographies, how like anytime like Shane McMahon would come on, like it would be like uh, son of Vince McMahon slash friend of so and so because he used to like you know when he around like the 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 golden age of wwe was like when he was like in his late teens and early 20s so he used to party with like 
you know, a lot of the, the famous wrestlers and stuff like that. So it was kind of the same way with Pauly Shore. Like, he grew up in this comedy club. His mom was basically, like Mike said, like the gatekeeper. So, you know, if so facto, what would people probably do? All right, this kid's like, you know, 16, 17 years old. I'm trying to become a famous comedian. And I'm not saying, like, people used to do it, like, nefariously or trying to, like, use him. But you'd be like, all right, like, let me... Hey kid, hang out with me. Da, 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 da. And you know, Paulie would probably, you know, dinner when they were home Sunday night dinner, uh, you know, with his mom or whatever. He's like, oh, well, you know, you should give so and so like some, like, give him like five minutes, give him, give him like ten minutes. Like, I guarantee you, like, I, I heard me and him were hanging out uh, on Sunset, and I heard his like some of his some of his material and I, give him a shot. Give him a shot. You know, it's probably those type of things. So he's a Hollywood guy, L.A. grew up. Um, I'm not familiar with any of his like early work, like the TV. Apparently, he did a lot of TV guest spots. Yeah, he did, uh, children. There were children, but even before that, he did uh, a lot of Fox. You know, uh, Twenty One Jump Street. Mm-hmm. I went to an O later on. He did. Uh, but I want to jump into what's called the golden era. The golden age of Foley Shore. And uh, I'm basically going to, let's just focus on 92 to 96. Let's just yeah. go in depth with that. So Can I, I mentioned, I? what? Can I? Yeah. Um, it, well, something that you don't see in today's era, um, probably with the big movie franchises and all the sequels and stuff like that, um, throughout the Actually, I think virtually all of the last century, um, up until uh, the early 2000s, what movie studios would do is they would make films, smaller budget films, and they would call them vehicles, where they would basically take an actor or they would take a personality and make like a cheap movie out of them, you know, make a cheap movie with them. And um, you're talking about like box office, TV rights, VHS, um, and merchandise sales. So you would take a movie um, going off of like 90s numbers, like for like three or four million, you'd make the whole movie for. And then you'd make like 40 million off of it. So you make 10 times as much as your budget. Um, and you saw it, they would take guys who, you know, aren't like, you know, Marlon Brando, um, Lawrence Olivier actors, <laughs> so to speak, but they had like a person and they would essentially take that person and it would just have different concepts and, um plots where that person would just be them but doing something so you saw it a lot with like elvis mm-hmm. you know oh elvis is like an army man elvis is in hawaii elvis is doing this da, da, da. and it was basically just elvis doing that it was an elvis like portraying a character so what they would do with paulie shore is we would make these like three or four million dollar movies um well, three to like ten million by the the end of his golden era. Um, they would take these movies, you know, and it would just be Paulie Shore doing this, Paulie Shore doing that. Um, and 
like Mike, I think all of them had like really good, like solid, like concepts. So oh, concepts, yeah, solid concepts. Yeah, and just built yeah. around like Paulie Shore. So Pro- probably like stacks of like you know screenplays, and this is about this, this is about that. You know, yeah. um, and uh, not to cut you off, but just to wrap up the vehicle thing. You know, back in those days, it was a lot more affordable for people to just go to the movies on a whim, on a whim as a thing to do. Um, so people, you know, today you kind of got to be like real selective on what movies, uh, you want to see, because today you go to the movies, like you're spending like a hundred dollars if you're going with your whole family. Whereas like back in those days, like 20 bucks, you could, you know, see a movie, um, buy refreshments and have enough money to like take the bus home when you're done. So they would make these movies like with Paulie Shore and just be like, you know, if me and Mike ain't doing shit um, after work, I'd be like, yo, Mike, you want to go see, you know, uh, Encino Man? And that's the difference between today's era and um, that era, era then. And that's why these movies used to get made. And that's why these guys got invested um, a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the way you're describing it, it's still in the 90s. They were still doing like the 50s model, like you said with Elvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it made sense then because uh, nothing really changed until, you know, the Internet age really took off. But uh, let's say let's start with 92. He had two uh, side. Well, it, prom, he had a prominent role in Encino Man, but he still was like the friend. Mm-hmm. And then he was also in Class Act. Yeah. Which was um, a vehicle for uh, Kid and Play. Kid and Play, yeah. He was like the antagonist. Like he was like the dick in, in class act. Right? No, no, no. What was that? He was a nerdy. What was it? Again? No, he. It was a very, very like small role. Um, he was like the organizer for like a drug. Um. Uh, say no to say no uh, to drugs rally, but it was ironic because he was um. You know, he he seemed like he was the guy that used to you uh, know, get high. Yeah, I haven't seen it in 20 years. Maybe it went over my head when I was when I was a kid. Um, yeah, so those are two roles he had in 92. And he kind of like stole the show in Encino Man. Everyone knows him from Encino Man. Uh, that was, uh, you know, Caveman comes back to life uh, in the 90s. Um, which is, you know, it's a classic movie, you know. Yeah. Sean Astin. But that's where he kind of took his character that he created on stage and then another character he he took the character from stage the uh, party animal character brought it over to mtv uh did that when he was introducing videos and he would do like man on the street bits and it was like you know it was the weasel man you know and then they made all they used that character in a movie and then so from people who weren't going to stand up shows but they watched mtv you know, and then you had people who didn't watch MTV, but they watched a movie, you know, so this is where he's like climbing the ladder of like pop mm-hmm. culture of being seen. Um, and from that, you know, like, okay, he, he, he could be, he could, he could do a whole thing on his own. It's like basically from Encino Man. Yeah, perfect, perfect person at the perfect time because he was that quintessential dude for uh, Generation X into like the early millennials. Um orbit which was like you know kids you know 13 year olds to like you know 30 year olds like he was covering that group between like 1992 and 1997 yeah it was like 80s was all about partying but then like 90s were partying but safe 
and this guy, you know, he was like a non-threatening party animal, you know, because he again, yeah. he was like, he always was like the, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, pacifist or um, abstaining from violence, you know, um, kind of like the Mormon, not the Mormons, uh, the Quakers, yeah. abstain from violence or anything like that. So he was kind of like, I make, I make love, not war type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Encino Man, um, I just have a lot of great memories watching that. Um, about six months ago, me and you were talking about Thanksgiving movies. Remember? Yeah. So, in '93, uh, they put Polly Shore in a, a vehicle. It was son-in-law, mm-hmm. Car- Carla Gugino, mm-hmm. a fan we're fa- fans of. Yeah. Um, again, he it's it's the role of uh, the outsider. You know, he's kind of like the weirdo from LA, brought into small town farm middle America. So basically, it's like, what Matt? Could you imagine Polish Shore in this town? Yeah. All right, and then they wrote the script. You know, that's like the script. Okay, let's see him. Uh, see how these people react to this uh, this L.A. freak. You know, uh, Venice Beach, wacko. Uh, memories of son-in-law. Yeah, um, it's one of those movies I used to pop on real randomly on like TBS on like a Saturday, Friday, or Saturday night. Um, sometimes like in the middle of the day. Uh, fun movie as Mike said like the theme you get from him is like you take his person and his personality and just put him in um, places or spaces where um, he'd be weird to people but for some reason like he just stayed like he'd be weird to people but he'd remain himself and the people who initially found him weird would, you know, come to like him or come to they understand would, him or something like that. They would change. Not usually a character development, the character changes. In this, the people around Polly changed and grew. Like mm-hmm. he, that, that was interesting. Uh, so then this is 93. Uh, he's on the climb. I can compare him to two other uh, uh, actors, characters that uh, they remind me of. Uh, just hear me out. Um, Ernest, the Ernest movies. Mm-hmm. Ernest was a character, and he was put in different situations. And that's another movie series that I watched at the same time. And I used to always equate like those type of movies with the Polish Shore movies, where he was always like this same type of character. Uh, but on the flip side, there was another guy out there uh, who I mentioned earlier, Jim Carrey. He was doing a lot of the similar Jim Carrey. Like he was Jim Carrey in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. but he just, you know, what I mean, like he was doing the same thing with Jim Carrey, where like, all right, let's get a, let's find something for Jim Carrey, yeah. And uh, so that's those three things. I when I was a kid in the early nineties was always those three characters, those three men, you know, like really influenced a lot of my like humor. Uh, okay, so let's talk about a movie I saw in theaters, uh, nineteen ninety four. I saw Polly Shores in the Army now in theaters. I have vivid mm-hmm. memory of it. It was, I think it was like a matinee. I think. I remember yeah. seeing the poster for it and it was him like with like guns and like explosions and in the army now it's very gen x because uh, it's a war movie which is something like elvis would do a war movie but it's pulley short in a war movie yeah. so but it was peace times i know we had the desert storm uh conflict but it was pretty much no wars or anything um so hey let's put pulley shore in stripes let's put him in a movie about war um this movie you didn't get a chance to see. No, that one, that one I did. Um, 
Oh yeah, you did. Actually, right. I have a lot of my like the only one I haven't seen is Jury Duty, which right, right, inspired right. this whole segment because I hadn't seen it. And when I was editing the um, when I was editing the Legally Blonde, I was like, yeah, man, like we really don't talk about Paulie Shore enough, or he's not talked about enough. But yeah, In the Army now has also one of my other favorite like comedic actors, kind of controversial. Yeah. Who was his co star Andy Dick? But it also had um Lori Petty, who was really like famous. Well, was in a lot of movies in the nineties. You know, um, Tank Girl, uh, League of Their Own, League of Their Own, um, Asai Morales, who people know from like um well eighties. He was in Bad Boys, like not Martin Lawrence and Will Smith Bad Boys, but there was movie yeah sean penn movie bad boys which was like a drama and it took place in a jail or yeah like it's it's, or not, like it's kind of like outsiders the movie yeah. outsiders greasers but it's in jail like a, a juvie yeah but he, you know and he was famous for la bomba he played um richie valens older brother um mm. and then for contemporary fans he was um uh, Ace's supplier in Paid in Full in um with Cameron and um with Harris and Mackay Pfeiffer. Uh and also David Allen Greer who's you know famous for um the In Living Color. Uh Jim Carrey Jim Carrey's also like a you know good friend of his from their time on In Living Color and he used to be in a lot of movies in the nineties, Boomerang, um Blank Man. Uh, yeah, so the, the essential plot, again, it's like they're not fully sure, Andy, they, they're not, you know, um, Paul Newman and Robert Redford. They're, you know, guys who have unique personality and comedic actors. So it's like we're not going to put them in like a serious war movie. But here's an idea. What if... They were just signing up to be in like the reserves where you basically only have to do one day a month, um, one day, one week, one month, and then you get paid, whatever, whatever. But they mistakenly sign up for like full like enlistment and they're basically stuck. And they, the whole movie is just them trying to get discharged and they come up with all kind of different stuff. Um, Paul Mooney's scene where uh, they say that they're lovers, uh, you know, kiss them. <laughs> dude, dude, man, just do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. It was like they're, uh, they sign up and then they get in a conflict with Ch- uh, African nation, Chad, uh, you know, David Aaron Greer says, uh, be all that you can be on, on the weekend. <laughs> you know, so like, see, again, it's very, very nineties where it's like, uh, uh, I kind of like a different version of how it is now. Where like, uh, they it's not patriotism. Like they signed up just for like a gig because like yeah. they, they had their own goal, which was to open up their own. They wanted their own store, kind of like Dumb and Dumber, where they wanted their own store. Andy Dick and uh, and uh, Paulie Shore's characters are like buddies, and it's like uh, you know we'll be living in a dumpster. You know we're like you know like living on the like drift not drifters, but like living um, gigs jobs. Just, just a, just a, just a, not a uh, career. Mm-hmm. So like they, they try to turn the uh, military into just a gig, yeah. while they're trying to figure out something else in their lives, which is very relatable. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's that movie, and then you got Biodome, um, which was him and another mega douche. Uh, Baldwin. Baldwin. Um, Stephen Baldwin, just to clarify. Uh, where they're, they sign up to be in, like, uh, experiment like an Adam and Eve type of experiment inside like this um created habitat in a bubble um I can't remember the full plot Mike but maybe well the full plot uh again it's two buddies you know uh and at this point uh we didn't mention in our in the army now he shaved his iconic hair off in the role yeah like they that was kind of him trying to grow as a character um, but at this point, he's still going, he's still in the same uh poly character anyway. So it's two buddies, they have girlfriends and stuff, they're kind of just floating or floating along through life. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by chance, they get stuck in this very serious uh sphere that they're trying to uh save the environment because pulled from the headlines, 90s was all about saving the environment. You got a cameo from Jack Black and you know, Tenacious D's in it, uh, all about just uh campus life like trying to save go green you know which was yeah. very hip at the time mm-hmm. so they accidentally get in thrown very three stooges very comedy team style words they get tossed into this uh biosphere where they're trying to uh you know save the environment or maybe go to another planet one day and just create life um so like it's supposed to be perfect and like they are uh they represent the chaos theory like they're they they're like threatening to sabotage the whole experiment and like it's 365 days locked like a one year to the day like earth day to the next year's earth day and now uh the, the all the scientists in the in the dome have to deal with these two yeah. gen x pricks you know who yeah. just want to get laid and get high you know yeah. and we have who's the bad guy it's uh the, the guy from ghostbusters and die hard great bad guy uh forget his name Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, but uh, mm-hmm. he goes crazy. You know, he goes, he, his, he, he, like his decline while he's in that uh, sphere, that biodome, which is funny. Uh, but these two goofy guys, they uh, teach these suck up scientists, you know, how to party, you know. Yeah. And uh, you could tell, like, from night, from Encino Man to here, it's getting a little more pushing it to like harder PG 13, mm-hmm. you know, like, like at this point, um, more like 20 year old or like late teens and just like in Cino Man, you can probably get like a nine-year-old or I was watching that movie when I was like five, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, there's nothing really like suggestive in it, but like Baudome, they talk about like, that's where I first time I ever heard like masturbating. And so I was like, what the fuck is that? You know, I did, like, <laughs> it was 96, you know, I was like six. And um, so that like one of those movies that uh, they talk about a lot of like that type of deal stuff. Yeah. Um, and jury duty I, I haven't seen it but if you want to talk about it a well, little well bit. yeah we skipped we skipped 95 yeah uh so in the army now came out that was his first like uh-oh there's some uh you know people getting tired of poly shore yeah uh, i was i was noticing that because i was looking at um the budgets and yeah. the box office and i think that was the first one where it was like i think they spent like nine million and then they only made like 13 million yeah so, they, so like I think son-in-law made like 40 almost. It was yeah, like 10 to 40, like 10 million budget and like 40 million they made. Then this was getting closer and closer. Um, 
I'm gonna tell you a story in 97 or maybe early 98. Um, I was with my nephew and my nephew was like, he's like four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So he, at this point I was already getting snobbish and I was like, I don't want to watch a kid's movie. And we put on goofy movie yeah, and Polly Shores in a goofy movie. Yeah, and I was like, oh, Polly Shores in that? I was like, I was already getting nostalgic for Polly Shore, even though it was like a couple years earlier. And I was like, oh man, I was like, good for him. Good for him. I liked him. So he played yeah. his character in the animation movie, a uh, goofy movie. Uh, and at the same year, uh, what was uh, one of the biggest things in the 90s, uh, Trial of the Century, OJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can argue like a lot of big trials because you had his, you had the Menendez brothers. Yeah, yeah. That was a cable Heidi, guy. Heidi Fleiss. The, the the mistress of yeah. uh, Hollywood, um, yeah. So, Jerry Duty uh, again. He he's this is a solo movie. This is the first time where like he's like by himself, Polly. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another scam, another scheme to kind of uh, he's still floating along his life, um, and and his scheme this time isn't like a quick gig. It's uh, to maximize uh, Jerry Duty. Usually, jury duty is like, oh man, you try to get out of jury duty. Mm-hmm. Paulie Shore gets, uh, he he he, he th- plays the system and he gets a penthouse suite during the co- during the, uh, the during the uh, trial. Everyone else is in like the motel two. Like <laughs> there's like a great uh, graphic match where uh, you know, I want can't some some like poppy songs playing and it's like all the good stuff that Paulie's getting and all the shitty stuff that all the other guys are getting. Yeah. Tia, Tia Carrera. Uh, great okay. ensemble cast uh but like he gets like chocolates on his pillow and but then like the old lady opens up her like takes her pillow and the like, cockroaches come out and it's like <laughs> just that type of thing and then like uh the reason why this came up with uh legally blonde legally, legally blonde is she solves the case uh she's a person who solves the case who you didn't expect her to solve the case and this uh he keeps prolonging the uh the verdict and mm-hmm. people are like, I got tickets to the Laker game, you know, and then he misses that during the montage scene, montage scene. He rips it up. Uh, some guy, uh, one of the Murrays, uh, Brian Doyle Murray has like a, a chain of stores that are going under because he's not there. Uh, everyone is just turning, turning on Paulie and Paulie's like, let's hear, let's hear it out, man. I, I can save this guy. This guy's innocent, but he knows he's not innocent. Yeah. He just, he's just doing it so he can stay. Cause he's living on welfare in a trailer with his like mom and his mm-hmm. like stepdad. Uh, and then when they find out when Tia Carrera and everyone else find out that he's like duping them. So he's like, like, Oh, you're living in this suite while we are in this hellhole? How dare you? And um, he's like, I'm sorry. And that and then he actually finds out that he is innocent, the guy. So yeah. now he has to now he has to prove he has to win them back over and prove that this guy really is uh, uh, not guilty. And it's not just because he wants to prolong it. And that's why he becomes a hero, which is very nineties, very like He's not doing it. It's not uh, what's so altruistic. It's more like he still has his own. Uh, he's getting at it, something out of it. But um, very, very 90s with uh, OJ. Uh, I'm sure 94, uh, they had the whole chase with OJ. And they're like, all right, let's do we have any movies about trials? Let's get this going. Because you had uh, a lot of serious dramas. But this was like the comedy version of a lot of the courtroom movies. Uh, 94, that happened. They probably wrote it came out in 95 i actually was supposed to see this uh my brother's birthday and i tagged along uh i guess you know my dad let us in he was it was pg-13 you weren't supposed to see it anyway but uh uh it was sold out so we had to see top dog with chuck norris instead i remember we were like (laughs) devastated um 
but that's an underrated movie um it's 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 much it's very much like jerky boys or like dumb and dumber with like the style and humor um but yeah but after 96 this is a thing i found out later on paulie shore had a uh, tv show deal and that just completely bombed and if you look on his imdb from then on it's nothing uh they had he had no um stock his stock went down and no one had faith in him either yeah. he did a guest spot or it was a shitty like trip in uh, you know like a uh, trip movie where you're like about weed and stuff straight mm-hmm. to video yeah. um, guest spots um over the years like 10 years ago he had like a, he went back to stand up mm-hmm. um that's where i saw he had a lot of stand up specials uh like uh, follow me around type docu things and yeah he had the um paulie show is dead mm-hmm where he like what he, he fixes death and he wants to see what people say about it, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not too familiar with it. I didn't know about it, but you know I've, you know we talk about like his decline or his you know um when his star started to you know dim, and I I've like you know my ideas, which is that you know the way I see it is there's a lot of people like I say he was the perfect person for that perfect time. And he fit the mold for generation X into like the early millennials. But you know, what happens is like all those people that were like 13 years old to 30 years old, like the 30 year olds, they become like 40 year olds. So they're not trying to watch, you know, Polish or stuff. And the 13 year olds, there's some new, um, there's obviously some new people that fill in that space for, you know, Paulie Shore, because at that time, by the time you get, you're 13 and then you become like 19, 20, um, Paulie Shore, he's like in his mid thirties at that point. So he's not as appealing to you anyways, which, you know, we understand because by the time, you know, we were like 17, 18, like there was, you know, a whole different, group of people that we used to follow right yeah so like Paulie Shore uh his 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 time ends and what pops up is the sex comedies and like the sexy horror movies and stone where it's about movies. Yeah, where it's like still trying to get laid and like Paulie yeah. Shore was never really trying to get laid besides Biodome but that was um a different it was more like playful Th- those ones were more American Pie is like we've we've talked about American Pie um that was a whole different that was more of an homage going back to if Polly was going back to the fifties with Elvis, uh, those movies are going back to the screwball comedies and the um, sex comms from the early eighties. Like, yeah, uh, and I, I think like, um, I think when you're like a personality or you have like a brand, um, and you fit a certain demographic, either you have to grow with that demographic, or you have to be sustainable enough that once that demographic moves on like the new demographic like say say per se like that 13 to 40 that 13 to 30 demographic that you were popular with like when the new 13 to 30 demographic moves in you're popular with them like the person i like in that way of doing it too is um mr rogers like our parents watch mr rogers as kids 
and then our older siblings or uncles or aunts watch Mr. Rogers as kids, and then we watch Mr. Rogers as kids. And then unfortunately, we was probably the last generation to enjoy Mr. Rogers as kids, but we grew out of it. But he kept on going for years because he would fit that specific brand and it would always roll over and roll over. Um, or you could grow with your audience, like Bruce Springsteen, right? You know, the people in like the late seventies and early eighties who were like, you know, in their twenties, it was like, Ooh, like Bruce Springsteen is like badass. Like I love Bruce Springsteen. Da, 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 da. Um, and Bruce Springsteen stayed with that demographic, like to this day where like Bruce Springsteen is probably like corny to us, but he's still relevant to that crowd, even though that crowd is older and the person I kind of likened it to is like Tyga, the rapper. Like when I was in college, like he made music that fit that era of like, you know, when I was like 18 to like 22. Whereas like he's still kind of making like the same music, but mm-hmm. now I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, that's just like kind of corny. Like, bro, you're like 10 years ago, you were rapping about like, you know, you know having sex and like drinking and doing drugs and shit um in 2011 and 2021 you're still you know take you're still talking about that same stuff and you're wondering why you're you know stuck in that same hole and you're kind of like a caricature of yourself and like a self-parody and the one thing about paulie shore is like he never like fell into that thing once he kind of moved away like yeah he would pop on the occasional um show uh talk show and you know he'd do books and Pauly Shore's dead and you know randomly pop into stuff but I think at the, the same time like his mom died mm-hmm. so sure. then he kind of had to take on the legacy of like running the comedy store because it's still the comedy store yeah, that's like his uh, legacy is the comedy store. So um, that's where he might find solace in his whole career where like he's still he's going to be the person who not dictates, but like finds new talent. And um, I think that's noble. You know, yeah. that's a that's a good space. Um, we, I was thinking about this while you were saying um, about the not growing with generations or not like developing. I see that a lot where it's more not, it's not organic. It's, it seems very forced, but the people that like, let's say uh, our age, let's say someone born in like 91, 92, uh, when they were in like, you know, when they were 10, they were with uh, Disney, all the Disney girls, the the character, they were with them through high school. And then when they were in college, they, uh, they developed too. They have a blueprint where like, okay, we do the, we do the Disney TV show where I play a character then I go on the road as that character singing like a uh, Miley Cyrus. And then when the next step is I'm going to branch out and then these people see them branching out and they do the same thing and mm-hmm. they grow. And then when they hit 30 and they're settling down now, like, Oh, I, I'm a sorry. I, you know, I'm not sorry, but like, Oh, the things I did like Miley, Miley Cyrus, all the things she said where she like disowned a lot of the stuff. And like, even though she got away, no, she got away with it, but she used a lot of, you know, the, the you know, we talked about it before. But now they're like, oh, they see themselves in this character. And so when they're like 35 and uh, they're growing with these 
personalities like they're mirroring the personalities like you know they're growing with them it's i think it's business too because they know that they'll always have these um fans yeah it's interesting and then the next person starts another young person is like that they get theirs and they grow with them yeah so like his first big movie and seeing oh man i was 1993 two 1992 and then his last big movie was like 96. um 96 or 97 so what seemed like he was that's that's to show you like his impact because it's, it, it seemed a lot longer than like five years Dude, it's like jason big mm-hmm. it's like jason big it was 899 to like 2004 yeah it seemed like a long time because we were in like grammar school and early high school um yeah so you know we just like this this whole thing was just we wanted to discuss you know somebody who had you know like we always do with with different stuff like you know things that had like big impacts in our lives that in our lives that didn't you know don't really get talked about much more you know so probably sure you know you got a lot of love here from the shook me the mooney um team all right, so here we are, inaugural book club for Sugar Me the Mooney, mm-hmm. as we're going to call it. Uh, no, but me and Sugar are huge Tarantino fans, uh, all his films. Uh, and now he's venturing into uh, books, author. To add that to his, um, his uh, titles. Interesting thing, though, uh, once my time in, in Hollywood, I actually started off as a writing exercise of Tarantino. Did you hear that? Oh, man, I might have forgotten. All right. So Tarantino, after he was writing, after he was uh, done with Death Proof, uh, to get into his next project, he just came up with these characters and he would just uh, try to jump into a scene that would captivate him. Uh, Because if it doesn't captivate him, he's just like, all right, fuck it. I'm done with these characters. And he moves on. But he had these two characters, uh, Cliff and Rick. And he's oh, I like this. This is good. But he put it down. And then he worked on uh, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, after that, after Django uh, was done and he was working on Hateful Eight, he, he came back to these characters and was writing more about them. And he was like, oh, I'm really into these characters. This might be number nine. This might be the next project. So it was all in novel. It was all in prose, mm-hmm. um, which is something that he did often, actually, uh, as me and Shik were talking about. Uh, like, he would write... Um, 500 pages of a story and later on he would have to turn it into a screenplay format like 150 pages yeah uh, and that's what he did with this and what's interesting about it is all of his scripts are handwritten he does he doesn't know how to type so he writes like 500 pages on like loose leaf paper or legal pads and then he hands it to um this woman i don't know her name off the top of my head since he started, uh, I mean, perhaps he has like assistants and stuff doing it, but Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, like his early works, all of them were just like whittled down and edited into a movie script um, and typed out by this this one lady. I'm so sorry. I don't remember her name. Four but, letters. Uh... Uh, Asian woman, but I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Um, yeah, but the, he starts off with these big ass... Um, he starts off with these these big ass, uh, five hundred something written out, um, scenes, dialogue, all that, um, 
but in this this particular one, he turned um he turned it into an actual like novel, and you probably you know of course all throughout time there's always been books that were um adapted into film and there have been films that have been novelized a matter of fact like virtually all films get a novelization Mm. um and what happens in like a novelization sometimes it's like some scenes that were in like the um not in the final script and some scenes that might have been were in the final script but like were shot um but cut out of the film like they would appear in novelization like i remember like the dark knight they had like a lot of scenes in the dark knight that with the joker and stuff like that that didn't um get filmed or made into the movie made it into the movie but were in the novelization Mm, right when i unironically read uh back to the future three in like eighth grade uh because i i found it at like a flea market and it had like weird scenes where like and like marty inner monologue of marty like thinking about stuff and it was just really cool to have him like marty is like he's been around doc for seems to be forever like it's just like a lot of like character development that doesn't come out and also scenes that were uh failed to make it to the shooting script um and here we have it with uh tarantino uh his process tarantino's process also always began with him writing one scene uh and then go linearly even though all his movies always jump usually like jump around he would do it linear he he was into that like starting from here and then not like some people plus the ending like like um boogie nights let's say like the guy had it in his mind that he was going to use the wonderland murders as that so he let's work around that um so that was interesting to see uh, something that was in sort of book mode get adapted and then adapted to a novel by the same creator. Mm-hmm. Very cool process. It's very, very self-indulgent, but, but I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, like I thought, uh, like I thought it was going to be like a straight novelization, but it's actually like, if it's like I said, some movies have been adapted from books into film. Um, and the way, like, we've only read the first two chapters, but so far, what it seems like, it was like, as if like, this novel, like the movie was adopt was adapted, like, imagine this book had came out in like 19, like 78. And it was finally made into a movie in like 2019. Like, that's how the, um, this is how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this novel um in companion with the movie this is how it, it goes if you've seen the movie and it's interesting because uh me and Chuck, we've both written screenplays before right mm-hmm. um and one of my proud one of my practicing uh i practiced one time trying to adapt a, a novel uh and since tarantino's one, one of my favorite tarantino films is jackie brown and he adapted a elmer leonard uh book rum punch into jackie brown like things completely changed like if you read I, I have the book rum punch and like uh jackie brown is a white woman like it's like everything has changed um but i just wanted to see how how he adapted it yeah. uh it has like the basic structure of like uh you know like gets caught gets caught gets arrested has to 
go under car, you know, has to wear a wire type deal, you know, he, he, this is the, the heist, whatever, whatever. And here's the resolution. Yeah. But of course, Tarantino throws in all his little uh, talking about different, you know, like very, very Tarantino-esque, um, uh, you know, his touch to it. Like talking about like a doll or talking about like a candy that they used to sell in like the deli where he grew up, you know, that yeah. that's the whole thing. The charm of the Tarantino uh, references. Yeah. And like, you, later. and like you said, we, we're both screenwriters, like the um, we've written screenplays or not. And like our, our stuff is. <laughs> been greenlit or or have been optioned but when i was in high school i wanted i knew i wanted to, to write movies uh one of the first books i read it was all about like the you know the movie business and how you know how to make it as a screenwriter and one of the things that was suggested was you should turn your scripts into novels um which which is what i was talking about in the Pauly Shore um segment where these movie companies they don't just think about box office they think about um obviously well box office merchandise uh rental um and tv rights so that's why they tell you to turn your thing into a novel because if you if your book is a novel you have like full ownership of it and um, you could sell it to like a studio and they, they could go all kinds of different ways from it. And all of those avenues, like you end up getting like the money for, like, whereas if you're a screenwriter, you would only get money for the screenplay. You only get paid for the screenplay. That's uh, what Michael Crichton did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he did Jurassic Park and all that. Uh, they were making the movie and Spielberg was like, all right, I'm making this. Ba- I'm going to base it off sort of Westworld. Uh, but Michael Crichton, Crichton, whatever he um, he wrote the book while the movie was being made. So how is the book? How is the movie based on the movie? If how how is the movie based on the book if the book was being written while you, they were filming it? Which is it was basically for him to have the rights to it and own it. And yeah, like Game him. Game of Thrones with well, you know George R R Martin. He said right. he's regretted that that he he um he let them do the show while he was writing the books because they kind of went their own way with it. Um. Well, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, like yeah, same thing with oh, Westworld, yeah. Yeah, obviously, like Quentin Tarantino, he's not doing this for the money. At this point, he's at, at the area where, like, he's just doing it for the art of it. Yeah, he said everything is gravy now. Basically, he uh, he he didn't want to uh, like you know he didn't want to like pass away without getting a few things done. Because, well, as we record this, July 2nd, he's been doing the rounds on a lot of podcasts. So I'm getting a lot of uh, what he was, his intentions were of, uh, of doing this. But this is basically him orchestrating his, you know, all the filmmakers and artists like he, he read about and heard stories about growing up uh, as a fan and then as a auteur like eventually. Um, he's like dictating his own legacy at this point, you know. God, God, you know, God forbid anything else happens, but his plan is to start writing more novels, uh, which I'm, I'm excited for based on the first 44 pages. Um, he's going to write more. I have a lot of, uh, or they? Oh, here, uh, uh, books about movies, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, Truffaut and, you know, Hitchcock, Casavetes. Like, I can't wait to read about him talking about movies, you know, him writing about movies too. Yeah. And then eventually down the road, he'll do number 10. Yeah. Um. 
but well let's get into the book um like you said with the back to the future um novelization where you kind of got to hear like read the thoughts and like the motivations and you know you get a little bit more like character development that's something with rick and um cliff in these first two chapters you really get because in a movie you don't know what's going on in their mind uh, and in movies in general they don't really give you an insight into the character's mind like they'll do like narrations but even then it does but so much and you know you kind of have to go out off of like body language and facial expressions but we got into like rick dalton's mind we find out that like cliff in his spare time was like this foreign film buff yeah which is beautiful i love that chapter yeah. two is beautiful yeah. the whole second chapter was just like whoa i'm like wow and, and listen like brad pitt earned his academy award because cliff was awesome in the movie um contrary to um bruce lee's family's uh yeah we can talk about it later on anger towards yeah we'll probably we'll talk about it as we progress because i'm pretty yeah. sure that scene mm-hmm. is gonna pop up and then we could talk about um the stuff uh, they're saying about um him so before chapter one okay again uh it's the uh medium it's a book you know you, you feel it you hold it like you said, uh, you have pictures of uh, a character in, in the film that had a cool role in it, but this is from a scene that we didn't see in the film. Like, it's an expanded role, which is exciting. You know, like, these are things that aren't, weren't in the actual the- theatrical release. Open it up, and then it has a character, um, the four main characters that, that in this, well, five characters, because Hollywood's a character as well. Hollywood is a character. You have Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth, and it's like a one-sentence synopsis of like who the character is, mm-hmm. and it's just great. Like you know, uh, uh, he's the only one there who might have gotten away with murder, and it's like great, and it's like <laughs> you should have been there. Uh, but with the uh, chapter one, uh, call me Marvin. So we're gonna strictly just talk about the book, but uh, we all know who played Marvin in the film. Yeah. Uh, but with this, uh, I did picture the actor, but. I, it did feel like a different uh, Marvin. Yeah, you know? I mean, like me, I have all of these old uh, James Bond novels. Right. And I got into them in high school when um, Daniel Craig took over as James Bond. And what I would do is read it. I would read it and picture everyone in the movie well, M is male, so I would think of um, Bernard Lee, you know, the original James Bond. Or, I mean, some of them, like, that have been, like, Casino Royale is set in the 60s. So, but I would picture, like, Evergreen as Vesper Lynn in the 60s and Daniel Craig as James Bond in the 60s. But, you know, Q, I would picture being like, you know, the older Q from the Sean Connery series and Bernard Lee as M because M's male in, in those in, in, the, in those novels and in the original Ian Fleming novels. And then the movies, um, the books from the movies that were actually made, um, obviously they have different plots because some of the movies, they kind of went their own way with it. So, but, you know, some of them like The Man with the Golden Gun, I would picture... Roger Moore 
um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby, Diamonds Are Forever, Sean Connery, so on and so forth. It's just the ones that don't weren't made into um actual movies. I would picture, I would you know switch, you know the the character in my head. But you know, in this book, as Mike said, like you know, Swords was played by Al Pacino. Uh, Dalton was played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Cliff was played by Brad Pitt. So you'd picture them in these scenes, but these scenes weren't in the movie. Um, for instance, in the movie, it opens with Cliff. I mean, not Cliff. Um, actually, Cliff. Yeah, Cliff and Rick. Um, but it's Rick's meeting and Cliff is like accompanying him um, to a restaurant to meet um Marvin Swars, and it takes place in a restaurant. But in this novel, that meeting actually takes place in his office, and it's and, a big deal. Yeah, and he has a secretary who's actually like a character that wasn't in the movie, and she kind of plays a role in you know the first and the second chapter. And uh, the setting, changing the setting completely, just like changes the tone. Yeah, think about it, because like when you think of a lobby and an office, what do you think of? Uh, I'm, well, I'm just rhetorically, but like, I think of like, maybe he's going to a doctor, yeah. you know, like maybe even like a therapy session. Cause like, uh, Rick is, uh, his character is going through a crisis right now and he's kind of like going to see someone who can save him or help him, you know? Yeah. So I saw it kind of as like a doctor and, uh, you know, Marvin's like, relax, you know, he's like being very therapeutic with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, why am I here? And like, you know, like why do you think you're here? Like, what do I do? And like, he's explaining and it has to do about Hollywood actors getting jobs in foreign films. Yeah. And he already has an agent. It's William Morris. He already has an agent, but this is like a special agent. This is an agent that's going to, a specialist yeah. who deals, who deals with someone who has this type of issue, you know? Uh, so that's that dynamic in chapter one. Uh, uh, you know, he's visibly anxious sometimes. And like, uh, Marvin is sizing up the company. He's sizing him up, like mm-hmm. he's already like at one point he goes, he's already uh, di- he he had two digs at this actor, so he's obviously like complaining. He's a complainer, yeah. like yeah. he like you know, like, and then like um, uh, Rick is uh, trying to contain his emotions, and like sometimes they come out, and uh, you know he's like all over the place. He's a mess. And then in chapter two we have uh, a different type of courtship going on. You know, you have, uh, uh, you know, Cliff's character in the lobby with the secretary and he's sizing her up. Like, it's like kind of like you, you, you find you, you're introduced to Cliff and Rick uh, by the way they, um, uh, by this type of dynamic, like sizing, sizing someone up, like trying to, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're able to like, have like a parallel whereas like in a movie when rick and marvin are talking uh cliff's in the corner off screen drinking a bloody mary and keeping to himself whereas in this one it's like cliff is actually like doing something and it's like a whole chapter talking about um why he doesn't like american movies why he only likes foreign movies um why he liked this director and this actor, but then like after a while he didn't um like you know those those that actor and that director anymore. Um and again he's courting this 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 um assistant and the um 
the funny thing is, or the difference in a movie was like the movie ends in 19, what, what year was this? 68 or 69? 69. 69. 69. Okay. 69. So it ends in 1969, but in this book, like it makes references to mm. stuff they do in the 70s. I love that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, um, he ends up taking the, um, his, the, the secretary on a date. And it's like, oh, like they didn't have sex. She only gave him blowjob, but yeah. she stopped giving blowjobs because she became like a famous, a famous talent agent, or like a, a renowned like uh, talent agent in in the the same agency as Marvin. And I thought of it because I don't know, Mike. Like same time period, right? What's the, what's the show that you know it kind of gave you the oh, Mad Men. Yeah, exactly. So you you like in my mind, I was thinking of like um, Sterling Cooper's office and mm-hmm. their oh, secretaries. Yeah, yeah. So when it started talking about like, oh, like she was his secretary, and then she became like a, um, she became an agent herself. And I was just thinking about like Peggy and and Joan, where it's like you could picture mm-hmm. like this girl being like in this one box here in this scene, but then like. If if he was to have shot that whole scene, it would flash forward and she's like Peggy, like in her own office smoking cigarettes cigarette, and, yeah. and making and calling shots and shit. I actually so pictured I one of the cool. I pictured one of the assistants actually from Mad Men as Miss uh, uh Yeah, that's what I was trying to do too. Like when they I think I did though. I was trying to like implant somebody into it and I I, I just I had to just go off of like my imagination. I, I think maybe in the trailer they did show this girl maybe in the trailer because i i'm picturing someone yeah but i don't know like she had the hair up but but, but yeah, way, it was very I, specific how she yeah had the pocahontas the po- pocahontas thing yeah so i so it wasn't her it was someone from Mad Men i was thinking about uh no but um great great like you know he's like the stoic in the film like it's like brad pitt is like very stoic you uh can't read much into him but in the in the novel chapter two there's so much below the surface like you know he's world war ii veteran in the pacific he's talking about like uh you know he was in the philippines with like the guerrilla war for, you know the guerrillas in uh, the filipino guerrillas and he was like you know the little image imagery of uh because if, if if you're listening you don't know about um the exit of the japanese from the philippines it was crazy like beheadings for like weeks straight like very terrifying images and photos and stuff um so basically you have to bring that up for him to later on appreciate Kurosawa, you know, like a Japanese filmmaker. And he's like, I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate the, the Japanese filmmaker more now. Cause I know them more, yeah. you know, which is really cool. Um, and it's like, matter of fact, we'd be like, ah, the other stuff was bullshit, but I like this thing. Then he lost me here. And uh, like, he wasn't using her as like, he wasn't courting her for more than just uh, a, a night. You know, he wasn't, like using, hey, what do you think about, about this film? It wasn't like that. She just happened to be there. He, he was watching the film on his own, but she just happened to be there. Because yeah, yeah. the film they're seeing uh, is a Swedish film. Yeah, uh, yeah it was like very supposed to be... Um, are you familiar with the film at all in, in real life? Like the... Yeah, well, I looked at... I, I think okay. I've heard of it, because I think it's like... it's. Um, I'm Curious Blue... And it's um yellow. It's yellow and then like yeah, companion yeah. films. Um 
but the one discussed here was I'm curious yellow, so I had to look it up and I I looked up like the specific yeah. <laughs> um I, I looked titillate. up like the image and I was like, oh like she really does like kiss like this dude's like penis amid like a bunch of pubic hair, but it's like described in it's the book. Very, yeah. And it has like the it has the picture of the mattress in the living room on top of stuff. I seen the scene, but I didn't see I like it's something about censorship a sort of documentary and they show him like trying to take the i've seen it before. yeah and i'm like and, and you know just so we don't go off forever on yeah, two yeah. chapters um and it's like people people who were like name dropped that weren't like familiar to me i'm like afterwards i'm like i gotta look him up on wikipedia and i'm like george kakar i'm like when he's like yeah george kakar loved me and he's like he leaned in and he's like he loved, he loved me, me. Yeah. and then you come to do look it up and it's like yeah he was like gay and he used to have all of these gay parties and how like he used to um we've talked about it um all all over like the golden age of hollywood where these guys would um get busted by like vice squads and they would have fixers these mm-hmm. guys who would you know get these records expunged and you know pay off the media not to talk about it so he was one of the people you know in hollywood that was gay and used to have like you know these gay parties and hook up with you know young gay guys and stuff like that and you know the the studio had to be you know had to 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 cover everything up um we saw you saw you saw appreciate it even though if we don't know the names, we still you still appreciate, you know, you yeah, and, get what they're saying. And I had the one guy where he talked about like he shot his dick off and I looked him up and it was like, yeah, like he he didn't really like he shot him in the thigh. Um and he recovered and he didn't shoot his dick off because he eventually had two children. But it was just crazy and it's just like that's Quentin Tarantino. And it's it's just amazing, like as a like an author, like he's giving like all of these like names and these movies and it's just like I can't keep up with it but I'm like looking them up as like they like right afterwards I'm like oh I gotta see what this is about so it was, I'm really excited for the rest of the book and I think like these details with the characters like it adds dimensions that the film um the film didn't have the way he writes though is good too with like the style um like when you mentioned Seven Samurai was magnificent because Magnificent Seven is based on Seven Samurai, you know. So I was thinking about Magnificent Seven. He uses the word magnificent, and a lot he used a lot of onomatopoeias, you know. And it's like very, very verbal, very, very conversation, conversational, like uh, talking. Yeah. And, and I'm reading it as Tarantino him talking. And you, and you would have assumed, and it does have like profanity in it, but it's like for something written by like quentin tarantino you'd assume there would be like an f word every like four sentences and it's like he uses like curses like only really in like conversations or um their thoughts like yeah. what I, I like i didn't effing get it like you know mm. but it wasn't like all over the place so it's, it's a really good read so far i'm gonna keep going with it now because i'm gonna yeah, so I'm thinking like um, we only had like three days, so we kept it to two chapters. So I think I told Mike we're gonna try to get um, up to like chapter seven for the next episode of uh, Shug Me the Mooney's book club. We need like a reading rainbow, the yeah. reading rainbow, 
Take a look. It's but a it, book. It's written it, rainbow. But it's, but it's Tarantino, so it'd have to be like a samurai sword with blood. <laughs> Something like that. Burn it. Burn it. <laughs> oh, God. Mike, episode 59, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, we talked about Polly Shore. Uh, underrated, fun films. His movies are fun. Uh, I'm going to go back and watch a lot more of them because um, I get a lot of nostalgia feels from his films. His films, I'm going to call them a film. I'm calling them films. Uh, but I think in the 2000s, he didn't adapt well. Uh, he kept going with the party. He was, again, he was still young. He was in his late 20s when you would see him on Howard Stern and he'd be at the Playboy Mansion and he kind of got that rep as kind of being, you know, that type of dude. Uh, now he's 53. Uh, he's in control of the comedy store now. Uh, so now he he's responsible for putting people on, you know. Uh, he's still working. A new movie comes out next week with him in it. It's like an ensemble uh, end-of-the-world movie, I think, with a bunch of co- different comedians in it, and he's one of them. So check it out. Um, look into it. Uh, the book, uh, finally, I keep buying books and not reading them. Uh, I'm glad this is not an excuse to read it, but it's a fun exercise to talk about it because uh, I, I, I hate buying books and let them stack up and yeah. not do anything with them. So far, uh, I'm itching. I'm, I'm already, I already started the next chapter. Uh, uh, yesterday was nice. My favorite weather, a little, uh, little rainy. It was a beautiful soundtrack to curl up with a nice book. <laughs> uh, Q and T, a little, little Q and T. Um, sports uh, a lot of we talked a lot of sports today yeah. but uh the finals will be happening um we'll be starting next by the next episode and i'm gonna actually try to uh, not just like watch it on like my phone i'm gonna try to sit back and actually watch these games and appreciate uh the rarity where it's not a superstar running around like it has been uh i kind of checked out during the whole heat and then when he went back with the Cavs, lebron i didn't really watch the bubble um but I'm in. I'm invested in these younger guys now. I try young. I'm gonna watch this guy. Hopefully, if he comes back, um, it is patriotic weekend. To the extent, this is the extent of my patriotism this weekend. I bought a couple of uh, Swedish fish and sour sour patch kids that are red, white, and blue. That's the only thing I'm doing this week. I'm gonna relax, kick back, and read my some read some Tarantino. Shug. Yeah, man. Yeah, like, who knew I would be sitting down here, like, doing a podcast and reading a book and actually, like, having, like, thoughts and notes and stuff like that. But um, we're better to start than Quentin Tarantino because I, I, I always, like, anticipated his, um, when he said, stated that after 10 films he was done and he was going to become a novelist, I'm thinking, like, Oh, cool. Like, into my 30s and my 40s and my 50s, <clears throat> I'll just be reading Quentin Tarantino novels. Um, You know, like Mike said, just curl up and, you know, have a nice glass of wine and read the Quentin Tarantino books. Um, And, you know, when we were doing a segment, I'm picking up the book and I'm like, I, like, I got to read it. So, like, I think the Yankee game got postponed, the Subway Series got postponed tonight because of the rain or whatever. So as soon as I we, we log off here, I'm going to open it up and try to knock out like a chapter. Um, 
Paulie Shore, man, oh boy, was our big fan. Still a fan of his movies. Um, I want to watch Son-in-Law at some, like somewhere. You know, even when Mike brought up like Jury Duty, I was like, oh, I got to see this movie, but uh, it's not on anything. But hopefully I'll find it somewhere and I could watch it because I was like, that's the, that's the one, the only one I missed. And I, <laughs> I think that's why we like skipped over it. Um, and I had to go back to it so we didn't forget because I forgot to write it down in my notes. Um, I'm not going to get into everything that we talked about because we talked about a lot. Um, but yeah, I can't wait till next week writing a new, um, reading all these, um, all these subjects and I mean, reading this book and these chapters and, and just, um, sharing out with you guys is, it's going to be fun, man. Like episode 59 of the 59, we're almost at 60. Oh, next one is 60. So we're, we're, we're um, really excited for everything going forward. And this has been episode 59 of Shug Mira Mooney. Shug Mira Mooney. <laughs>